Well, hey, everybody, and glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm back from vacation. Several of you have asked, by the way, I want to thank Cliff for, uh, for preaching last week, and I heard great things about that. And some of you have asked about my, um, my uh, efforts at sealing my mother's driveway, because I mentioned that, I think, a couple of weeks ago that I was going to do that. And so uh, let me take just 30 seconds to tell you how that went, because so many of you have asked. Um, Miriam and I were out on a Saturday. We're kind of patching the holes. It was the prep before you do, you know, the squeegee stuff. Anybody that's ever done that knows what that is. So you basically pour out paint on your driveway and you squeegee it on. It's kind of what it looks like. Um, it uh, it's difficult and horrible, and uh, it gets all over you, and it's just a mess. So we're patching the holes pre-squeegee. We hadn't opened any buckets or anything. And a guy pulls up in a truck. Um, he was he was kind of my people, nice and rednecky. And uh, so uh, he said, uh, basically, he said, y'all y'all aren't going to squeeze you that, are you? And it's like, well, yeah, that's what Mama wants me to do. And he said, I'll do it for you cheaper than you can do it. And I'm like, no, you can't. And then he gave me the price, and yes, he can. And so I walked in and said, Mama, there's a boy here, and he wants to do it real bad, and we need to give him the money. And so. Uh, um, we let him do it, and we took all the stuff back to Lowe's, and they uh, t- took a credit. So it was great, and we're happy, and, and it's all good, and it got done, and, and the best part was we didn't have to do it. Now, lest you think that we didn't do anything, we were working on other things. We, we just sort of shifted from one project to the next, but um, thank you for asking, and it looks great, and we didn't have to do it, so that's good. All right, today we're talking about, there, there's this notion in... America, I don't know if it's in the world, but I know it's in America, where you have to be able to forgive yourself. You've probably heard that language. Or you've heard somebody say, I just can't forgive myself, as if their ambition in life is to feel good about themselves. There's a, there's a lot of that going on, and I'm going to kind of explain why that doesn't make any sense biblically. So we're going to look in, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today, and we're kind of you know, easing our way through Philippians, and we've got a few more weeks of Philippians, but this is incredibly important for us because it sort of dispels this notion that's out there that somehow we're always supposed to feel positive about ourselves. Now, let me show you a picture. Does anybody know what this is? Wow, I am so glad you came to church today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you uh, uh, information. This, this, this is chocolate. Well, actually, it's the pods that contain chocolate seeds growing on the trunk of a chocolate tree. Now, obviously, we don't eat it like this because this looks like a pumpkin, and I don't want it. So, uh, but what they, there's this process. And so they take the seeds out, and the seeds are bitter, and they have to do... Listen, the seeds have an intense, bitter taste. They must be fermented. This is why we like chocolate. Uh, Must be fermented to develop the flavor. After fermentation, the beans are dried, then cleaned, then roasted, and the shells are removed, and that produces this. It's called cocoa nibs. Cocoa nibs. Sounds like a good uh, name for a a breakfast cereal. Okay, uh, cocoa nibs. Now, this isn't the end of the process. In fact, that you do more things, and eventually uh, the cocoa nibs become, this is called chocolate liquor or liqueur. Um, 
that's called cocoa butter up on the right, and the other thing is, there's another thing that becomes of it, uh, cocoa solids. So you have co- uh, chocolate liquor, cocoa solids, cocoa butter. And what we eat is sort of a combination of these three, and they add um, amounts of sugar as to how much, how sweet you want it. So most of us eat milk chocolate. Uh, some of us eat dark chocolate. Does anybody like dark chocolate? Well, you're weird. Oh, okay, but anyway, uh, it's good, it's good. Um, dark chocolate has less sugar than uh, milk chocolate, which milk chocolate is uh, what God wants you to eat. Okay, so anyway. Now, that's a lot of talk about chocolate. For, for, oh, by the way, next, just, a little, um, just a little reminder, next week is Father's Day. Chocolate. Okay, I uh, just want to put that in your mind. I, I think the processing of chocolate is a nice metaphor for us. Because we become followers of Jesus, if you've ever done that. You know, I started my... My journey with Jesus when I was seven years old. I've been on the journey a long time. But we're not sort of zapped into milk chocolate. There's a process. There's a cleaning and a cleansing and all those kinds of things. And if you'll recall, a couple of weeks ago, Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippians, and he says, I want, you to, know, I want to know Christ. I, I, want to, I want to become more like Jesus. You know, there's a process uh, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I, I, I'm in a process of becoming like Jesus. This is what he's talking about. I want to be made into ultimately what God wants me to be made into. And just like the chocolate, you know, seeds have to be processed, for us, there's a process, and the process begins with this washing of our sins. So in 1 John, it talks about God is faithful and reliable, and if we confess our sins, He forgives them and cleanses us. This is the process. He cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. So now, God promises forgiveness, and the process of becoming like Jesus begins with forgiveness of our sins. So now we find ourselves, we're back in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at three verses, 12, 13, and 14. I don't mean to say that I've already reached perfection. I'm in the process, is what he's saying. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I, I'm not there yet. I, I want to know Christ. You just said, I, I want to know Christ. I want to become like Jesus. But I, I'm not there yet. I'm still in the process, is what he's saying. And sin, what, wherever along the line you are in the process, we have this tendency, because we have a sin nature, to gravitate toward sin. Now, I've been a follower of Jesus for lots of years, unfortunately, I still sin. It still happens in my life. And you're probably there too. And Paul, who was one of the greatest Christians who ever walked the planet, toward the end of his life, writes this letter and he says, I'm not quite there yet. See, sin messes up our lives. Messes up our relationships. I always think about sin like this. 
It doesn't mess up everything, but it messes up some things. So if you walk into a china shop tomorrow and you have one of those bouncy super balls and you bounce it, it won't mess up everything, but what it touches, it will mess up. It's likely to mess up something. And when I sin, it might not mess up everything, but it messes up some things. And the bigger the bouncy ball, the more it's going to make a mess. And sin has this tendency to make a mess. And so the message of Scripture is that forgiveness is greater than sin. And that is absolutely true. The only problem is sin, even though forgiven, sometimes has consequences. And sometimes sin has long-lasting consequences. And we can be forgiven of it. It doesn't take the consequence particularly away. In fact, God is amazing in this. We, we sin, it's forgiven, we have the consequence, and from the consequence, God somehow is able to teach us. Um, he teaches us through bad things that happen in our lives, through difficulty that happens in our lives. And, and getting over what you've done, I mean, if you've... <laughs> you, you know, if I, if I speed a little bit, I, I don't know how that feels. I, I get over that pretty fast. Um, but now if I egregiously sin, then I, it kind of haunts me some. It kind of stays with me a little bit. And forgiving yourself is a difficult thing. And the problem is sometimes people, people don't always want help from the Lord. They, they kind of maybe know they need it, but they don't want it. Let, let me tell you this goofy little story. There are these three guys, and they kind of stumble into a faith healing service. And they don't know what's going on, but it's kind of crazy up front. So they sit on the back row. And the faith healer, he gets off stage and he walks to the back row. And he looks at these guys, kind of this awkward kind of looking. And so he says to the first guy, what can I do for you? Well, this guy came in on a cane and he's kind of injured a little bit. And he said, well, pastor, I've, uh, I've, I've been troubled in my back since I went to war and I came back and I have shrapnel and now, you know, I'm not, I don't feel good in my back a lot of times. And the faith healer grabbed his cane and he ran to the front and he threw it in the baptistry. And as soon as the cane hit the water, this guy, he straightens up, he starts to walk, he's sort of singing and happy, and he's like, I'm healed. The faith healer kind of, he's kind of cool, and he looks at the next guy, and the guy has kind of coke rim glasses, and he said, what can I do for you? And the guy goes, you know, I haven't been able to see for a long time. The pastor kind of rips his glasses off his head, and he runs to the front, and he throws it in the baptistry, and as soon as the glasses hit the water, the guy can see. Everybody claps, and he looks at the third guy, and he said, what can I do for you? He said, dude, I'm fine. I just started collecting long-term disability. Uh, I am good. Good. So not everybody is looking for help, but some people are. And we get to the point where our sin overwhelms us, and we ask for forgiveness. Now, here, let me give you a couple of truths. I think these are on your outline. Truth number one, God has promised to forgive confessed sin. I'm going to show you three verses. As far as the east is from the west, that, I mean, it can't be any further than that. So far does God remove our sin from us. As far as the east is from the west. A couple more. Uh, 
You'll be merciful to us once again. You'll trample our sins underfoot and send them to the bottom of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, they're at the bottom of the sea. I've taken away your wrongdoing like a dark cloud and your sins like a fog. Return to me, for I have uh, bought you and set you free. Two metaphors in this one. Um, It's like the fog burning off. Once the fog burns off, it doesn't come back. And uh, I've bought you and set you free. You were a prisoner, now you're not a prisoner. And so uh, over and over in Scripture, there are these metaphors about forgiveness. Forgiveness, more forgiveness. It's just lots of verses about forgiveness. And, And so if we're forgiven, the question is, if we're forgiven, if, if God separates us from our sin as the east is from the west, if they're really at the ocean floor, if it really is taken away like a fog and it doesn't come back, then why do I still remember the wrong things I do? Because I don't know about you, but I still remember the wrong things I do. It reminds me of that story, short story by Edgar Allan Poe, The Telltale Heart. You probably read that when you were in school. It's the story of this man who, in a rage, kills a neighbor, and he hides the body under the floorboards. He kind of dismembers this body, and he hides it under the floorboards. And guilt overwhelms him, and he starts to hear the heartbeat. And he hears it and hears it. And the the story ends, basically, the man goes mad. And he wasn't hearing the heartbeat of the dismembered body under the floorboards. He was hearing his own heartbeat. And there's this sort of notion that the heartbeat of our lives sometimes reminds us that we're guilty of sin. And even though God forgives it and he separates us from it, somehow we forgive it. We, We can't get rid of it. So here's another truth, and this is crazy important. God hasn't promised. He has not promised to take away the memory of our sins. We use expressions like forgive and what? Forget, right? Forgive and forget. Like like that's easy to do. Except Scripture nowhere ever says to us that we forget our sins. God has this capability. We don't. We don't have the capability. Look at this quote. Forgetting is a function of the brain. Forgiveness is a function of the spirit. We, we aren't wired, honestly, to forget. Memories are stored, listen to this, are stored in the brain by electronic impulses and chemical transference. We have the ability to remember 600 pieces of information a second. I can't remember my kids' names half the time, but evidently, 600 a second. By the time you're 75 years old, you have the capability of remembering 1.5 trillion bits of information. You remember them, you just can't remember them. That's kind of how it gets. So here's the truth that you have to understand. We're not wired. God did not create us to forget. He, He forgives us, but Scripture doesn't talk about, hey, you should forgive yourself. Because... You didn't sin against yourself. You sinned against God. Now, our memory of our sin and its forgiveness can work for us or it can work against us. But again, let me remind you, in America, we're we're growing up around this psychobabble that says you always have to feel good about yourself. Like if you ever have a negative thought about yourself, it's somehow wrong. Look, 
Paul one time said, we're going to look at this verse in a little while. He one time said, in writing a letter to a guy named Timothy, he said, I am the chief of sinners, yet God is still working through me. To have an honest assessment of yourself is not a bad thing. I'm a sinner. I have a propensity to sin. You're a sinner. You have a propensity to sin. I have a sin nature. If I'm not careful, if I'm not alert, if I'm not on, on top of my game, I'll have a tendency to fall in to sin. The truth of the matter is nowhere in the Bible does it ever talk about forgiving yourself. It's just not in there. I mean, you can look for it, but it's not there. So, when Paul says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, he's not saying he never thinks about it. He's just saying, I never dwell on it. Because he also writes this, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right, here, here's the deal. Satan is our enemy, and he brings to mind things you've done wrong. Now, I can dwell on it and feel bad about myself, or I can remember it and remember what God has done for me. I choose where my focus goes. Does my focus go on how bad I am, or does my focus go toward how good God is? How bad I am or how good God is? I choose the focus. So let's talk about why we don't want to choose the focus of how bad I am, but rather let's choose the focus of how good God is. So if I'm past focused, it causes spiritual crippling guilt. David, who committed adultery, wrote in Psalm 38, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. What a verse. My guilt has overwhelmed me. When Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? What was the first thing they did? They hid, right? When, we're, when we have unconfessed sin, let, let's, let's make sure we um, clarify. When we have unconfessed sin, the guilt will overwhelm us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be thankful for that. If I'm comfortable in my sin and it doesn't bother me, God's not working on me. It is a great thing when, when my sin causes guilt because then I can deal with it. It's a good thing when my sin causes me to feel guilty. We should thank God that I feel guilty because then I can get it right. Secondly, now that it causes this crippling guilt. The second thing is when I'm past focus, the focus is wrong. It's the wrong focus. We, we, we are focusing on the wrong things. Listen to these two sentences and tell me uh, what the focus is. I just don't feel good about myself. I can't seem to forgive myself. Who's the focus of, of both of those sentences? My, myself, right. Except forgiveness isn't about, you don't forgive yourself because you didn't sin against yourself. You sinned against God. And, and again, we, we do things and we try to kind of get over stuff, you know, try to get over it a little bit. I heard this silly little story about a guy, and he goes into a restaurant, and the, the waiter gives him his water. You know, you get your glass of water. And as soon as he got his glass of water, he poured it, kind of splashed it in the waiter's face. And then he apologized. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I just have this compulsion, and I don't know what to do with it. And I, 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 every time I get a glass of water, I throw it in the waiter's face. 
And the waiter was like, well, you need to get a hold of yourself, buddy. I mean, this is a stupid compulsion, and you should get over it. Stop. The guy apologizes, and he says, look, I'm going to go get help. I'm a, I did it again. I thought I could control it. I'm going to go get help. The waiter says, well, now listen, man. If you come back here, you, you can bet you I'm not giving you any water. Six months later, the, the guy comes in. He asks for a glass of water. The waiter remembers him. He says, no, 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 no. The guy goes, no, no, I've been to a psychiatrist. I, I'm better now. I'm all better now. So he kind of convinces him. The waiter pours him a glass of water. The guy takes the water, splashes it in the waiter's face. The waiter goes, I thought you were better. He goes, I am. I do it now. I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. Okay, so you have to, what are we trying to get better of, right? What's, what's the thing we're trying to get better of? Well, in Hebrews 2, it says, let us keep our, our focus, let us keep looking to Jesus. I can't forgive myself. All the focus is on me. Jesus is forgiving me, has forgiven me, will continue to forgive me. Then the focus is on Jesus. Let us keep looking to Jesus. Let us keep our focus on Jesus. Our faith comes from him, and he is the one who makes it perfect. Our focus, when we're reminded of bad stuff, our focus needs to go to Jesus. Look at this text. The devil has never been on the side of truth. He's, he's a punk because there's no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he's only doing what he, what he does. He's only doing his thing. His thing is lying. He's a liar. It's natural to him because he is a liar and the father of lies. And so that's what he does. And Satan likes to bring up your past and he'll say things like, how could a Christian do something like that? And wow, I can't believe God would forgive that. Can you believe you did that? How's God ever going to use you now that you've done that? This is the kind of stuff that you'll hear whispered in your ear. Now, let's hearken back just for a second to that verse where Paul says, I take every thought captive. You're not going to be able to prevent those thoughts from coming in your life. They're just going to come in there. Look, I've lived a long time, and I've heard those whispers in my own heart and in my own mind. I, I know they're going to happen, but I can do something with them. I can take them captive. I can be reminded that Jesus paid for my sins, that he has forgiven my sins. I don't have to think in the past. So Paul said, hey, I forget the past. I capture the thoughts of the past I remember what I did wrong, and I remember how great God was and is to forgive those things. Yeah, yeah, that stuff happened. I remember that it happened. I also remember that Jesus overwhelmed my sin with his love and mercy and grace. He overwhelms it. My sin was bad, absolutely. It's horrible. And yet, God is so great. He overwhelms it. He's bigger. He's more powerful than my most horrible sin. And and I might have a a pile of them. And His grace and mercy are bigger than my pile of sin. It's like having a tarp. You know, I found a tarp in Mama's garage the other day. Uh, Like having a a big old tarp. And I got a big old pile of sin, and His his forgiveness is a big old tarp that goes right over it and, and covers it. 
He forgives all of it. It's, it's useless to focus on our past sin. It's useless. Take every thought captive. That was good advice. Now let's, let's talk about what it looks like to be future-focused. To be future-focused. Number one, it creates a thankful spirit. Here's the verse I was talking about just a second ago. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, because He trusted me and gave me this work of serving Him. He gives me strength. In the past, I spoke against Christ, and I persecuted Him, and I did things to hurt Him. Well, that's all bad, right? In the past, in the past, I spoke against Jesus, and I persecuted Him, and I did things to hurt Him. But God gave me mercy. I had a big old pile of sin. But God gave me mercy. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst. I remember persecuting Christians. I remember it. See, before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. And he would go house to house looking for people who proclaimed that they followed Jesus. And he was Jewish, and he was a Pharisee, and he was, uh, he was kind of an up-and-comer, and he was the man, and he didn't like that his religion was being questioned. And he was aggressively pursuing people who loved Jesus. And look what it says. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. I mean, you've done bad stuff. I get that. Paul did really bad stuff. I mean, there's a guy named Stephen. You can read about this in the book of Acts. It says that Paul gave his consent for him to be stoned. He was complicit in the murder of a a Christian just because he was a Christian. I know you've done bad things. I, I, I get that. I'm just saying, so have I. I'm just saying, it's not like Paul was a Boy Scout and then he became a Christian. It wasn't like he just sort of barely stepped over the line. He was almost a believer and then he became a believer. He was a goody two-shoes and then he became a believer. He wasn't a goody two-shoes. He killed people. He arrested people. He had them thrown in prison. He wasn't a good guy who became a better guy. He was a bad guy who became a forgiven guy. This is really important to understand. When Paul says, I know what it was like, he knew what it was like. And and then, let's go back. In the past, I spoke against Christ, and I persecuted him, and I did things that hurt him. (laughs) Yeah, I did things that hurt him, like I persecuted his followers. And if you were to write this sentence, in the past, I... What would it be? In the past, I did this. In the past, I did that. In the past, this is my big old pile of ugly sin. This is the stuff that I did. It's a big old pile of ugly sin. In the past, I did this. I wonder what it would be. Really, it's less important than can you, with Paul, say, but God gave me mercy. It's not him dwelling on the past, it's him conquering the past. 
through the mercy of Christ. Je- Jesus was, he's such a great uh, character in Scripture. He did so many great things in Scripture. He, his life was so amazing. And there's this one time, and he goes to this house of this really prominent dude in the city. Now again, cultures are different, and in that culture, if you had a meal, it was kind of open, and people could see from the road. And, and, and so he goes to this meal at a guy, his, his house, and his name, this guy's name was Simon. And Simon welcomed Jesus in, but there were some traditions that he didn't follow. Like if you were to come to my house, I would say, can I take your coat? Or, you know, let me help you park. Because we live in a cul-de-sac, and so I'll try to help you get to a good parking place. There, there are some social conven- there's some social convention that we would employ together that I would try to make it good for you coming into my home. And then I would offer you, you a beverage. Can, can I get you something to drink? Right? There's social convention. There's stuff you do. Um, here's, this is where the bathroom is, in case you need it. I'm going to point out some things. Um, the tip jar right there, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm going to let you know. My home, this is, you're welcome here. This is, okay, in the Middle Eastern culture of the first century, the convention was when you came into a home, you've been walking on a dusty road, they would wash your feet. Not, not the head guy. He's too important. But he would have a servant. The lowest servant would wash your feet. And then they would anoint your head with oil. They would give you some oil. Maybe you didn't look so good. I don't know. And that, you know, you'd get some oil and you'd rub it on your hands and you'd do your hair and you'd look better or you'd smell better, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so they would, they would do these things. And, and if you were close friends when you came in the door, they would kiss you on the cheek. In Europe, they do this. They kiss you on the cheek. I remember I went to Russia. They had a tendency, the men had a tendency to kiss you on the lips. I did a lot of this. Uh, it was, a, a, you know, welcome, glad to, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. But this was social convention. You washed the feet. You anointed the head with oil. You, you offered a kiss. Well, Jesus goes to Simon's house. He does none of those things. No problem. They recline to eat. And then again, in this culture, you and I, would, we sit at a table. They sort of laid on a, a floor with their head toward this little table. You kind of reclined with pillows and your feet were extended out. And there was a woman that came in the room. She was kind of a, she was one of those kind of women. She had that reputation, you know. She was undesirable. She had a past. She was known in the community as easy. Everybody kind of knew it. That kind of thing gets around. I'm from Danville, Kentucky. And that kind of thing gets around in a little town. People know when you're easy. And they knew she was easy. And she came in. This room where Jesus was reclining. And because of being forgiven, she begins to weep. It's funny how our emotions sometimes take control of us when we're forgiven. And That's not part of the story. We don't know when she was forgiven. We just kind of know she was forgiven. We see the evidence of it. 
And she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And she wipes his feet. She's washing his feet with her tears. And she's wiping them off with her hair. And she's kissing not his cheeks, but his feet. And she anoints his feet with precious oil. Well, Simon is disgusted. I suspect he didn't want that kind of woman in his house. He didn't want that kind of woman rubbing up against his reputation, you know. So Jesus tells this little story. He's got a way, Jesus, of telling these little stories. He tells this little story about, hey, there was this guy and a couple people owed him money. One guy owed him tens of thousands of dollars. The other guy owed him a 20. And he forgave both debts. And he says to Simon, Simon, dude, which one would love the guy who'd forgiven the debt more? Which one do you think? Do you think the guy that had been forgiven tens of thousands of dollars of debt or the guy that had been forgiven a $20 debt? Which one do you think would love the guy who had forgiven more? And Simon, now listen, I mean, you know, you don't have to be too bright to know that's an easy question. Well, the guy that's forgiven much, the one who's been forgiven more is probably going to love more. Yeah, it makes sense, especially if it's a tens of thousands of dollars compared to 20. And then Jesus says this. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, this, this, you, don't miss that. Now, if she's washing his hair with her tears, if she's wiping them with her hair, if she's anointing his feet with oil, if she's kissing his feet, there is a great chance that she is on the ground at Jesus' feet. And he looks to her, but he talks to him. It's cool. Do you see this woman? The one I'm looking at? The one that you don't really want here? Do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, which is customary. But she wet my feet with her hair, with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which is customary. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, which is customary, social convention. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins. She's got a big old pile of sin up in her. It's a big old pile of sin. I tell you, her sins, which are many have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I think it's sort of a restatement of something that's already happened. Your sins are forgiven. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture because it gives us hope. No matter how big your pile of sin is, Jesus' tarp of mercy is bigger. His love is bigger. His forgiveness is bigger. No matter how big heaping your pile of sin is, it does not matter because His tarp of forgiveness is bigger. 
That's a good, hopeful verse. Number one, it gives me a thankful spirit. Number two, it keeps me grounded. keeps me grounded a little bit. People who remember their sin, look, I don't think too much of myself because I know I'm a sinner. I, I, let, me, let me tell you this little, this little story. There's this woman and she goes to traffic court. The judge, you know, in his robes, finds out she's a teacher. And he rises from the bench and he says, Madam, I have waited years for a teacher to appear before this court. Now go sit in the corner and write, I will not run a stop sign 500 times. Now that, do you think she was grounded? I mean, that kind of humbles us a little bit. That, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, when we remember our sin, we know it, it's lucky. <laughs> We're fortunate. We're fortunate that Jesus' tarp of forgiveness covers our sin. It's good stuff. Thirdly, it can be an example. Paul said, I, I was given mercy so that in me Christ Jesus um, Christ Jesus could show everybody that he's patient without limits. I was, he calls himself, I was the chief of sinners. But Jesus forgave me. His tarp of forgiveness bigger than my sin. Christ wanted me to be an example for those who have sin, who have big old heaping piles of sin. Paul is basically saying here, I am an infomercial for Jesus. Have you ever seen infomercials? They are crazy effective. You want to know how I know that? Because they keep showing up. And you'll, there'll be a little kid on there, and he's four years old, and he reads at a college level, and he says, I can do this because I'm addicted to phonics. And it's like, oh, addicted to phonics? Well, I've got to get that for my one-year-old because I'd like them to read at a college level when they're four. Or this guy with a, you know, he's got a fro like uh, Dr. J. And uh, he says, I was bald as a cue ball, but, uh, you know, I found the Follicle Institute. And now uh, uh, I'm froed out, you know. I'm frolicious. And we go, well, I want a fro. Uh, I'm going to get that. Follicle Institute. That's awesome. And we, and we listen. And, you know, she'll say, I, I cook dinner in six seconds with my new nuclear reactor uh, home cooking system. You're like, nuclear reactor home cooking system? I want one of those. Cook a meal in six seconds? Yes. Sign me up. I want that. My wife just bought something the other day. She saw it on an infomercial. We, we got it at uh, the box yesterday. Forget, I don't, don't even care what it is. Miriam's happy, I'm happy. It doesn't matter to me. What she ordered. It's all good. See, Paul is saying, I point to myself as someone who is forgiven. Although my pile of sin was big. I mean, it may be the biggest ever. One of the biggest ever. Yet, God's tarp of forgiveness covered it one last thing when I'm future focused it prompts me to focus on God not me look at what Isaiah says the Lord says now let's settle the matter you are stained red with sin but I will wash you as clean as snow although your stains are deep red you'll be as white as wool Longing to feel good about myself is self-centered. 
I don't think the right question is, how can I forgive myself? It's the wrong question. The right question is, how can I remember properly? Because when I remember properly, then that makes me more thankful. And then I remember, yeah, I got a big old pile of sin, but the big tarp is bigger than, the tarp of forgiveness is bigger than my pile of sin. Then not only do I, I, I'm, I'm more thankful and I'm more humble and I'm more genuine and honest with people and my focus isn't on me. My focus is the one, on the one who forgave me. Yeah, I got a big old pile of sin. And the tarp of forgiveness is bigger than all of it. Covers all of it. You don't have to forgive yourself. Just remember your sin properly. You take captive those thoughts. You take them captive. Well, I'm a bad person, but, 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 but. God's forgiveness is bigger. And some, for some reason, he, he found me, <laughs> he loved me enough. He found me somehow worthy to take my sins away and to go to the cross for my sake. And you remember that. It sort of explodes all those negative thoughts you have about yourself. Father, we thank you for this message that Paul, as an infomercial to us, amazes us and that he reminds us that we our sin though it was red like crimson has been washed white as snow that our sin as big as it was has been separated from us as far as the east is from the west that you took all of our sin and now it's in your eyes on the bottom of the ocean floor. Lord, help us not concentrate so much on forgiving ourselves as being mindful that though we are sinners, even though you love us and you forgive us, help us to live in your mercy. Help us to live capturing those stupid thoughts that make us feel like we're, we're horrible people. We are sinners who have been saved by grace, which makes us saints. And we thank you for that. Help us to live in the power of forgiveness. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.